Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. Welcome. I'm back from Louisville, not Louisville, not Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. It's like New Orleans, but Kentuckian. The phone number, 877-973-7425, if you want to be on. It is an open line Friday. Glad to have you with me. I've got to begin, though, out of the gate before I do anything else. Talk about the Hunter Biden story uh, because it is gaining some traction and it is an interesting whistleblower based story that so much of the national press, uh, I think, kind of decided they didn't want to cover. And yet here we are uh, and here we go. Hunter Biden, according to a whistleblower, has been getting possible preferential treatment or the U.S. attorney who is investigating him has not been given all of the relevant information. Now, here's what what you really have to know. Merrick Garland testified before the United States Congress that, to his knowledge, the U.S. attorney was unimpeded in his investigation and had everything he needed for the investigation. I actually need to spend time on the wording of the Wall Street Journal. It is notable that the Wall Street Journal broke the story. It's notable because the Wall Street Journal is, though part of the Rupert Murdoch family, highly, highly respected. Not only is it highly, highly respected, but the reporters involved are highly, highly respected, which makes it more significant than your run-of-the-mill story. Uh, So to begin with, An IRS supervisor told the um, committee that he has whistleblower information and wants protection. The way this has to register with you for you to understand is you're supposed to read between the lines. Uh, there, There are things you're supposed to read, to intuit, to be able to process, to be able to recognize there might be some hanky-panky going on, and the reporters want to tell you what it is. So let's dive into this. A letter sent to Congress on Wednesday says a career Internal Revenue Service criminal supervisor special agent. What? what? <laughs> That's a heck of a title, isn't it? A mouthful. A career Internal Revenue Service criminal supervisory special agent has information that would contradict sworn testimony by a senior political appointee. The supervisor also has information about a quote, failure to mitigate clear conflicts of interest in the ultimate disposition of the case. According to the letter, The supervisor has details that show preferential treatment and politics improperly infecting decisions and protocols that would normally be followed by career law enforcement professionals in similar circumstances if the subject were not politically connected. The letter says the supervisor has has been overseeing an ongoing and sensitive investigation of a high-profile controversial subject since early 2020, which it does not name. 
The investigation at issue is into the younger Mr. Biden, the people familiar with the matter said. Now, this is really important because this is when reporters want to tell you something, but they can't be specific that they have insider knowledge of it. Let, let me explain. So I tell you something, and I tell you, you can't say directly that you got it from me what these things are. Here's what you can say. You can say someone has provided insider information, and you can allude to the fact that it's about a particular person's testimony and the areas of that person's testimony, and you can hint at specifically what those conflicts are. Here are the conflicts, and here's how you should do it. And, and you essentially, the reporter and the sources, work together collaboratively to convey the story without giving away the sourcing, the sources, the names, etc. So let, let, let's put all of that in action with the story. So we have quotes from the letter, and then we have that it is about Hunter Biden, according to people familiar with the matter. So what exactly is it? Well, there are some curious paragraphs. Hunter Biden is facing a criminal investigation related to his taxes and whether he made a false statement in connection with a gun purchase. When he said in December 2020 that his tax matters were under investigation, Hunter Biden said he was confident that a professional and objective review of these matters will demonstrate that I have handled my affairs legally and appropriately. Investigators have believed for months they had enough evidence to indict the younger Mr. Biden, the journal and other news outlets have reported. Prosecutors have also weighed whether Hunter Biden's well-documented drug addiction would present a defense against a potential criminal tax case, the journal reported. He hasn't been charged with any wrongdoing. The investigation has been led by a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney, David Weiss, who has remained the top federal prosecutor in Delaware under the Biden administration. During a March oversight hearing, Attorney General Merrick Garland said Mr. Weiss had broad independence to pursue charges. Now, they are going to add a quote of context from what Merrick Garland actually said, so pay attention to what the quote actually says. He has been advised he is not to be denied anything he needs. I have not heard anything from that office to suggest that they are not able to do everything the U.S. attorney wants to do. So now let's begin to build the parameters. We have a letter that is leaked that says there's a whistleblower who has inside information that this whistleblower is handling a major investigation and that this investigation is about Hunter Biden and that this individual believes that a senior political appointee did not represent a matter accurately to Congress. The leak says the source is investigator Hunter Biden. So now of all of the hours of Merrick Garland's testimony, we have only one quote. Hours of testimony from Merrick Garland and only one quote, and that quote is, the U.S. attorney has been advised he is not to be denied anything he needs. I have not heard anything from the office to suggest that they are not able to do everything the U.S. attorney wants to do. 
Now, then we move into Mark Lytle, the lawyer for the IRS agent, says his client wants whistleblower protections for his information. And then according to the letter, the employee previously disclosed his information internally at the IRS and to the Justice Department's internal inspector general. He is restricted from sharing some of the information due to privacy laws that shield American tax return information. Now this gets curious, does it not? It gets curious. We have Merrick Garland saying the U.S. attorney has been given everything he needs for the investigation. And then we have this kind of off-the-wall paragraph that this whistleblower can't provide all of the information that is necessary because of laws that restrict some of the information, tax information because of privacy laws. And then we have this. While taxpayer information is largely protected from disclosure, the tax code allows the chairs of the tax panels, including the Ways and Means Committee, to request and receive any tax returns from the IRS. Democrats used that tool to obtain former President Donald Trump's tax returns last year. The new letter specifically refers to a legal provision that allows someone with information they believe relates to possible misconduct to disclose tax return information to those committees. What this all suggests to me is that either the Justice Department or the IRS has not provided all relevant information to the U.S. attorney. That the investigator suspects, believes, has reason to believe, and remember the I, the, the the U.S. attorney, the, the Wall Street Journal, the Wall Street Journal says that this person over is overseeing the Hunter Biden investigation at the IRS. And therefore, this person should have access to all of the relevant information and be able to provide it to the U.S. attorney. Then we have the curious quote. We have the curious quote that Merrick Garland said the U.S. attorney has been given all the information has had no impediments to get any information and will be given all the information he wants. And then we have the bottom of the story that some information is protected and it can't be released by the whistleblower. He can't talk about the information publicly. He needs whistleblower protection. The way I read the story, I could be wrong. It is my theory is that the U.S. attorney thinks he has all the information about Hunter Biden from the IRS and that the investigator within the IRS has been advised he's not allowed to give certain things to the U.S. attorney. That's how I read the story. Just based on the paragraph flow, based on the order of the paragraphs, and based on the quotes, Merrick Garland gave multiple hours of testimony to Congress on this issue, and they only the only relevant quote that they decided to put in a story about a whistleblower saying information is being kept back is Merrick Garland saying the U.S. attorney hasn't said anything about 
any information being withheld. We've told him we'll give him everything, and he's got our full cooperation, and nothing will be withheld. And then you have these curious paragraphs about how the the criminal investigator within the IRS says there's information that might be being withheld. I think that's it. I think someone at the IRS, a political appointee at the IRS, was advised to withhold relevant information from the U.S. attorney. I think that's what it's got to be, that the U.S. attorney thinks he has everything about Hunter Biden, thinks that there's nothing left to take, has it all to be able to shape the parameters of the case. And yet that very clearly is not the case. It is very clearly the case that someone somewhere in the IRS has more information about Hunter Biden and someone else inside the IRS has told those people within the IRS you're not allowed to give it even to the U.S. attorney. And the result is a whistleblower coming forward. Now, you all need to pray for this whistleblower because I guarantee you the media is going to find if this whistleblower was on Twitter when he was six years old and put up a clip of Tom and Jerry and, and the, the cartoon of Tom and Jerry where the, the, the little mouse has, has the, the shotgun explode in front of him and it looks like he's suddenly in blackface. They're going to put up that clip and say, this, this guy's a racist. You can't believe they're going to do to this guy what they did to Monica Lewinsky. Instead of white stains on a dress, it's going to be old tweets that are going to cancel this guy. They find out who this whistleblower is, they're going to destroy him. A press that is absolutely incurious about the manifesto of a transgender shooter in Nashville is going to be deeply curious about this guy's tweets from when he was five years old. I pity this guy. I do. But good for him for speaking up. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Nationwide Open Line Friday, 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. We'll begin with Caroline. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciated your affirmation of Philip several weeks ago. I taught Philip in the first grade, and his mother was uh, help, very helpful in the classroom. As my age, he was excellent. He has excellent parents. And I've just appreciated what you had to say about um, his good work, work ethic. And uh, Well, so I, I guess I should back up here, Caroline, and, and set the stage first. Thank you for, for calling in and, and saying that. I, I cannot believe I allowed on a phone call for someone to say something nice about him. That that I may have to fire myself <laughs> for this. Um, but, you know, it, it's I actually – so I was at the University of Louisville yesterday and was talking to um, a group of students who have been uh, members of a program there for the McConnell Center – and it, it was striking to me this the the Gen Z and and the millennials and and the issues of work ethic and how increasingly the data shows that younger younger people feel they are all invested within their work and if they can't express themselves emote themselves within their work they find it unfulfilling and it they they want their way they want work done their particular way. And it is in striking contrast to older millennials and Gen X who realize they're going to go to work, they're going to make some money, and then they're going to use their money to do what they want. Uh, and it, there's there's a lack of work ethic for younger millennials and, and Gen Z these days. And so it, it's just been deeply impressive to me to 
uh, find a guy right out of college, uh, get him on the payroll. Uh, his one like job right out of college where what, six years later, seven years later, he's still there and don't even have to tell him what to do. He just goes and finds the work to do it. It's impressive. And <laughs> Philip says, um, she was a great teacher. He decided to do first grade twice. <laughs> Thank you for calling it. I can't believe I let someone say something nice about Philip on this radio program, though. That's that's my fault. That will never happen again. <laughs> All right. I, I got to move on. Uh, and, and to begin with, before I move on, uh, I want to talk to you about Vision Computer. I'm glad to have them on board here. Uh, one, because I'm able to finally have someone to help me build a gaming PC for my kid. It's it's he's been wanting one for years, and now it's time. Here's if you're in, if you need a computer, and you're not a Mac guy, you're a PC person, and you want a computer, you could go buy an off the shelf one that is built for generic customer, or you can go to Vision Computer and let them spec out the computer that you need or your company needs if your company. And then you get their technical support where they're always on call for you and they actually do answer the phone and they can help you with your techniques from setting up email to dealing with printer issues, you name it. If you haven't bought a PC from Vision Computer and you actually want competent tech support that actually answers the phone, you can pay them a small yearly fee and they will become your tech support too. And in many cases, you don't even have to take your computer to their shop to get it fixed. They can patch in remotely to your computer over the Internet, diagnose and fix the issues. Incredible customer service. It's hard to find customer service like this these days, particularly in the computer market, and yet you get it at Vision Computer. Call them at 404-COMPUTE anywhere nationwide, 404-COMPUTE. Call them today. Howdy, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877 877- Nine seven three seven four two five. I'm going to uh, take a moment to speak to my original radio audience uh, and uh, the team, crew, and staff at uh, WSB Radio in Atlanta. It is my flagship station. They have unveiled some changes. I, I now uh, hold the <laughs> hold the spot for longest unchanged uh, slot in in radio on my flagship station. Be noon to three. They're they're uh, moving uh, the evening show to the morning. They're moving the morning show to the evening, but they're doing something else as well. Uh, when I was in evening drive time, uh, the news anchor, his name is Chris Chandler, and Chris did the news in the evening. And Chris is now taking over the early morning Atlanta's morning news slot, where my friend Scott Slade had been for thirty years until he decided to retire. And I was just over the moon ecstatic for him. I feel horrible, horrible for him that he will have to be up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. But I cannot express how happy I am that he gets to do that because he is so good at the news. I'm just over the moon excited uh, to be able to wake up and hear his voice in the morning. Uh, and I just, that was, that was so awesome to hear as I was flying in from Kentucky. Now, Kentucky, I spoke yesterday to the students at the McConnell Center, a group of students who come together and are focused on government. The McConnell Center is named after Mitch McConnell, 
I was invited by the University of Louisville to close out. They have a year-long program, and I was the closeout speaker. Didn't actually realize I was the closeout speaker, but they shut school early because they have the Kentucky Derby coming in a few weeks, and they need all the parking spots at the University of Louisville. So University of Louisville gets out uh, at the end of April, and um, they've got like a week or two of school left. I landed at 9 a.m. and did not get to my hotel until midnight and then was up at 4.30 to make it to the airport. It's been a long 24 hours, but I got to tell you guys, I'm wearing my Braves shirt today because it's what I threw in my bag and didn't even realize it was my Braves shirt. I'm not an overwhelming, like, diehard baseball fan. I like the games. I love to go to the games. I root for the Braves. I root for my beloved Cubbies. But I went to the Louisville Slugger Museum and factory yesterday, still owned by the same family. What is remarkable is that this factory that makes baseball bats, uh, the family members were actually on the floor of the factory helping spec the wood for the bats. And my friend Sean, who arranged this tour, was able to convince them to let me go back to the back of the factory where the tours aren't allowed to go. I got to hold Jackie Robinson's original bat. And then I got to hold Jackie Robinson's replacement bat. Jackie Robinson had a bat that was based on the specs from Babe Ruth, whose bat I was not allowed to hold. And one day woke up and decided he wanted the the handle of the bat to be a thousandth of an inch thinner. I got to hold both bats. I got to hold one of Hank Aaron's bats. It was, y'all, I went in, I'm not a, I, I'm a baseball fan, but I'm not that into it. And I was like, oh, Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory. This is, this is going to be imp- interesting. I was overwhelmed. I mean, you got Babe Ruth's bat in there. Mickey Mantle's bat is in there. Hank Aaron's bat was in there. Um, I got to hold one of Hank Aaron's bats. I got to hold two of Jackie Robinson's bats. Uh, they have this vault with some of the most unique bats out there. It just, y'all, it was absolutely remarkable. It was was just truly an incredible experience. And then the coolest part is they took me back where the tours don't go, and they were making bats for Ronald Acuna and for Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall used to be with the Braves. And they walked me through how they spec the wood, how they mill it down, how they make the bats for them, and I got to hold the bats that they're making not for resell to customers as this is one of his style of bats, but for the actual bat that will actually be used in the actual baseball game. And it was an incredible process, how they do a a test on the wood to see how the grains flow, put it under a microscope to see how far the grains are from each other, align the bat and and the sticker on the bat so the players know if you hold the Hold it so the Louisville Slugger symbol points up. You're holding it to align with the grain, so it's not going to shatter. Typically, when you hit the hit the ball, I was absolutely floored by the science of making a bat. I had no idea that much science went into it, and the care. And what genuinely, truly struck me more than anything else is that the family members of this factory are literally on the floor of the factory working with the workers as if they are the workers, and they are, 
and they're picking the wood and they're milling the wood and they're picking the quality of the wood and they're I mean it just they, they, it was it was stunning I, when I was a lawyer I worked I did a lot of corporate I did media I, I, elections I did corporate some criminal and it was always striking and it's kind of a rule and and the lawyer at my law firm who I was working with on on a lot of corporate business stuff pointed out how it is very rare for a third generation family member to take over a business and not run it into the ground. History is replete with third generation families who run the 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 company into the ground. They they don't have value for it. They've inherited it. They don't have it. Um but here in Louisville, I, I toured the old Forster distillery, which is owned by Brown Foreman and it's the same family has run this. It's the oldest bourbon produced in the country. It's been produced nonstop since 1870. The same family owns the company. They just bought Jack Daniels. And then the Louisville Slugger, uh, the, the, the company is not named Louisville Slugger. I forget the name of it all of a sudden. But this company has been run by the same family since the Civil War. Um, it, it, I was really blown away by that. And having two companies like that, and then for them to give me behind the scenes tours, it was it was really cool. Now, my speeches actually that's a very long winded. I was floored by everything I saw, completely exhausted from the tours and from the day. But I want to actually talk a little bit about what I told the students. It was all on the record, and I I my rule of thumb is I'm not going to say something off the record that I wouldn't say on the record these days because half the time it's going to get leaked anyway. I wanted to talk about the political realignment in the country, and we see this more and more in the country, and it's come to fruition. There are uh, some political analysts on the right who argue that a lot of what we're seeing in the country right now is derived from post-9-11 America. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that many of the people who posit that what we see in the country now derives from post-9-11 America are people who tend to take uh, isolationist positions and wish to withdraw the United States from an aggressive role on the world stage. I, I think there's a tie-in there. I actually have a different opinion, and it, it's what I shared with the kids last night. I think what we're going through right now is a an American political realignment that we go through about every 100 years and that we should have gone through it sooner and would have gone through it sooner, but for 9-11. I think 9-11 just stopped the inevitable from happening. The worst thing to happen to the conservative movement in America, do you have any idea what is the worst thing to happen to the conservative movement in America? If you say Donald Trump, you're letting the present define who you are and, and you're ignoring history. I, the worst thing to happen to the conservative movement in America was the election of Bill Clinton in 1992. Why? Because Bill Clinton was so bad at preserving Democratic majorities, Bill Clinton was the catalyst for the rapid shift in the South and the Midwest from Democrats to Republicans. Prior to Bill Clinton, conservatives had to reach across the aisle from the GOP to advance policy. So conservatives needed to know how to talk to Democrats, not just Republicans. When Bill Clinton became president, 
All those conservative Democrats became Republicans in 1994. The Republicans had not held the House of Representatives in 40 straight years. And while they won the Senate for a couple of years, it, it, it swung back to the Democrats. It was historic anomaly. I was there on election night in 1994 as a, as a college student, and none of the Republicans saw what was happening and could believe their eyes. You will hear people say with confidence, I knew it was going to happen. I assure you I was in the room with many of them. They did not believe it was going to happen. They thought they'd come close, but it wouldn't be enough, and it was. They didn't only flip at the federal level. They flipped the state level. And then when Barack Obama was president in 2010, it escalated. It escalated, and Barack Obama's 2010 um, midterm elections was the largest party defeat for an incumbent party since like 1896 or 1894. You had to go back to the 1890s to find the incumbent party of the White House lose that many seats at the federal, state, county, and local levels. And it started with Bill Clinton. And conservatives then lost the ability to speak to the other side. As a result, they didn't have to. Why bother wasting your time? And then there was this other event that happened. Uh, George W. Bush left office in 2008, and Dick Cheney chose not to run. Historically, in this country, the vice presidents of incumbent presidents run to replace them. And the parties are able to conduct referenda within the party, in the primary system, on whether they want to keep with the same guy or not. George H.W. Bush got elected in 1988 because he was Ronald Reagan's heir, and people liked him as Ronald Reagan's heir. They did not particularly care for him when he was his own man, and they threw him out of office four years later. Dick Cheney never gave people that. They had to put it on hold. They had to freeze it until 2016 when Jeb Bush ran, and then the Republicans were ready to have the referendum on the Bush legacy and decided they didn't want to go forward anymore. In 2008, they had to go relitigate John McCain versus George Bush, refight those fights. John McCain won this time with Mitt Romney trying to stand in for the conservatives. And then four years later, Mitt Romney went from being the conservative guy to the moderate guy, and he won. And a lot of people were fuming so much that by the time you got to 2016, Republicans just wanted to burn down their own party. They felt betrayed constantly by their own side. They didn't have a way to to reach out and, and make inroads with the other side. They had lost the ability to talk to Democrats, and then they lost the ability to talk to each other without hating each other, and they decided to start striking matches and burn down the party. Now the issue for 2024 is do the Republicans continue striking matches and burning things down, or are they ready to reset, reboot, and win? And I don't know that I know that they're ready yet. The question is what will happen to Donald Trump? If they go with him, the match, the, the the match lighters will continue to light their matches and burn the party. My solution to the kids at the University of Louisville, and by the way, I'm using kids because there was not a person in that crowd who was born before 9-11. Felt really old. My solution to them, though, was that if if we're going to have this realignment in the country, where a lot of Democrats are now becoming Republicans and Republicans are now becoming Democrats and it's the upper-income white secular Republicans who are becoming Democrats and it's the lower-income black and Hispanic religious voters who are becoming conservatives. You know the two biggest indicators of your politics in America today are uh, do you have a college degree? Do you have an advanced degree? If you have an advanced degree, you're very likely to be Democrat. If you have a college degree, you're 
you're probably headed to the Democrats. Unless, how often do you go to church or religious services? The more often you go to a religious service, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, the more likely you are to be conservative. This is part of the realignment in the country. And my solution to these kids was localism. you you got to stop worrying just so much about Washington, D.C., and you've actually got to pay attention to what's happening in your own backyard and build relationships and bridges there with people who might disagree with you on the federal level, but you all care about your local community. You do that. When this realignment ends, we're in a better place. We're, we're not in more turmoil, continuing to perpetuate a realignment. The only reason that our current political situation feels so discombobulating to us is we have the 24-hour news cycle we didn't have 100 years ago, and we have social media that we didn't have 10 years ago, which gives everybody more anxiety. But it's just what we're going through right now, a political realignment in the country. People who were once Republican are becoming Democrat. People who were once Democrat are becoming Republican. As they cross paths, they cause ripples, currents, and waves. And we're just in the middle of those waves, in a riptide, so to speak. But we'll get through this, too. Along the way, however, you know, there can be economic chaos and the like, which is why you may want to consider reaching out to my friends at Advantage Gold if you have any interest in using precious metals to help your portfolio withstand all the crazy currents out there. 800-450-2566 is Advantage Gold's number. You got the volatile stock market, major geopolitical turmoil, raging inflation. You don't want to sit by hopelessly and watch it all unfold. 800-450-2566 is Advantage Gold's number. They're TrustLink's highest rated uh, gold company seven years in a row. They got the best prices staff. They've got a fantastic IRA department. They can answer your questions about using precious metals as part of your portfolio for your IRA, your 401k, your general investing purposes. 800-450-2566 is their number. Call them, get a free gold IRA investment kit. Tell them I sent you, let them work with you. They can answer your questions if you're at all curious about precious metals. 800 800- Four five zero two five six six. Don't forget to text data to three three seven seven seven. Subscribe to the email. Yes, you should. The phone number here, if you want to be on the show, open line Friday eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Let's go back to the phones. Gretchen, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. I wanted to just spread some good news on this Friday. Okay. There was a family friendly friendly. Fun event hosted by Drag Queen scheduled for my county on Sunday. The community heard about this and spoke up against it online, out in public. Uh, Then last night at the county commissioner's meeting, there are 20 public comment spots. All 20 were filled by voices that said, you know what, this this type of environment is not appropriate for kids. Uh, Please put in an age requirement of 18 above for people who want to participate or attend. There was a whole row of drag queen supporters. And as the 20th speaker got up to speak, they uh, stormed out of the room, caused a scene, called the process unfair. It was unfair and discriminatory to allow 20 speakers to speak who all had the same opinion. When the rule is, they called us, the, the speakers cheaters, uh, but the rule is first come, first serve, and I just mm-hmm. wanted to spread the good news and encourage others that, you know, be brave, speak up, and move forward one step at a time to create positive change in your neck of the woods. You know, I, I'm glad you said that. That was one of the things that, that I was telling the kids in, in Louisville is, is so many people are so focused on Washington, D.C., they don't even focus on their local community where you can actually really make real change by 
showing up and just speaking and being nice. Um, I, I got warnings for Republicans on the issue when we come back. But can I just say, I'm, I just, I like two years ago, you had the left saying, you know, these, these drag queen events with kids aren't really happening. And now suddenly not only are they happening, but you're a bad person if you oppose them. I mean, how did we go so fast to you should take your kids to the drag queen experience? I mean, bringing them into schools and stuff. It, it, it's such a a situation of people reacting to each other to antagonize each other. It is such a, a, a just crazy path that we're on where you go from it's not really a thing to, hey, we, we, we're going to have a drag queen event at the local elementary school. And it's, it's a deeply bizarre madness sweeping through our society. And I got to say, to a degree, it's it's both sides trying to define themselves by what the other side hates to antagonize each other. But this drag queen stuff with kids is just so deeply inappropriate.